Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at vigorbranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Dr. James Pogue. He's the CEO and president of JP Enterprises, where he consults and uh, conducts keynote addresses uh, to uh, different organizations and groups of people. Uh, James and I got connected through Kelly Vallade, uh, who is the president and CEO of Black Box Intelligence. If you've been listening to Fork Tales, you've probably already listened to her episode. And I'm really excited and happy that Kelly was able to connect us, uh, James, because there, there's a lot of great things to discuss today. But before we hop into those questions, uh, why don't you say hello and give people a little bit of uh, background on you? Sure, sure. So my name is James Polk. Happy to be here and so glad that Kelly put us in contact. Um, I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. There's a lot that needs to be talked about around these things. People need to continue to talk about them and practice that. But also it helps to have uh, uh, some guideposts, some, some, some rails in the sand to say what is happening out there, what is going well, what are some of the challenges, those kinds of things. And our organization, particularly over the last two to three years, in the last year especially, has been an uptick and not just the folks that are interested in doing something about it, but that want to, right? Because there's a significant difference between the want to and the, the, the thinking about it and the execution. And so people are moving closer and closer to that execution place. The, the early adopters have really in many ways already begun in, in significant ways. It's, it's the next group, the, the early majority that is going to really drive uh, the next year or so. And so in many ways, I'm adjusting my, my uh, language to speak to those people. You know, you got to get you out of the starting blocks and then start you down this path in a different way. Because everything that we've done in the past has only gotten us to the point that we were, right? Mm -hmm. We need to start to do some new things to get us to a new point of, of realization and, and understanding. Yeah. And so to, um, I probably should have done a better job of introducing it, but what we're talking about today, I think in one word would be diversity, but of course there are many other words all around that, that contribute to what that word means. And, uh, it's, <laughs> I think calling it a hot button topic is uh, underselling what it actually is. Um, you know, I don't see diversity as necessarily a movement or a topic. It's it is a consideration that I think is important for the growth and sustainability of uh, organizations and humanity. Um, you know, across the globe. So when when we start to say those words, though. I think what we see in the corporate world is there's a lot of uh, apprehension and fear of like misstepping when it comes to starting to tread into this world of diversity. What are the things I'm allowed to say? What are the things I'm not allowed to say? Um, it, it seems almost like a minefield for some leaders who aren't fully uh, invested or, or even those who are. Um, why, why does it feel like that? What's causing that fear and apprehension and, and how can leaders overcome it? 
Uh, I think that it happens for two reasons. One is uh, it was a low-level expectation of leaders to have expertise around diversity, inclusion, and bias. And again, I use those terms as broad umbrella terms, right, to encompass all of this. They were expected to, to, to not be great at it, to be okay at it to know how to, um, to to choose somebody on their team who was better at it and to have them to do it. And there, there, there wasn't the same kind of rigor, uh, the same kind of KPIs, the same kind of experience and, and, and uh, uh, push from the, those professionals uh, because of the leaders and the CEOs, you know, demanding of them that they be great at their jobs and move the organization forward. So, so that's one part of it. The second is we're not practiced at it. It takes practice to get good at anything. And if we have not practiced having the tough conversations around diversity, inclusion, and bias, how can you therefore expect to be good at them? We are exactly where we are supposed to be given the amount of effort and practice and intention that we put into it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think one of the things that I have seen um, and we'll we'll try desperately to not make it political because uh, politics has really absorbed this Overall, and I think in not necessarily the best of ways, but um, there there were some definition shifts that I think have caused a lot of confusion, uh, at least from what I've seen. So we have shifted from color blindness as being the the pinnacle of not being racist to being hyper aware of color uh, as being the pinnacle of not being racist. Uh, we've gone from the goal of equality. Uh, of opportunity to now the word equity being used, which sounds the same, but anyone that you know knows it's different. Actually, um, equity is usually measured by the the outcome, not the pathway there. And so, I think these these shifts that seem to have happened over the last few years have caused a um, question marks for a lot of people. Like, what 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 am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to acknowledge that uh, the gentleman I'm speaking to today is black? Or am I supposed to say African American? And what happens if I say the wrong thing? Because there's also, well, we'll get into it in a minute, but the idea of cancel culture and, you know, ending up without a job for doing the wrong thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you coach uh, leaders into the right thinking and the right path forward? <clears throat> well, I think the first thing is you have to recognize First, where you are, like, what is the what is a good assessment of myself? Have I looked in the mirror and said, this is the person that I am? This is the leader that I am today. And then to take a you got to take a look backwards and say, OK, now, based upon the person that I am, how have I led? Right. And and where have some of the gaps been? And, and where have I missed the mark? Where would I could I should I have done better, dug deeper? Mm-hmm. Then you can start to plan about how you're going to move forward. I think too often times we start thinking about what are we going to do next without recognizing where we have been and, 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 and that that differentiates itself uh, by the person. Right. So when, when I as a, as a black man, I look backwards and I see what I have not done as a diversity professional, what I could have done better. That's one thing. If I happen to be a white guy, senior leader, an Asian woman, senior leader, a Hispanic man, a junior leader, whatever it might be, my 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 impact was different, but I need to assess myself in meaningful ways. And if necessary, get some help to do that. Then we can uh, move forward. So to your point about language, it is critical that we level set on what these words mean, even if it's within the context of the organization. Leaders can drive that. They can say, this is what diversity will mean inside of this organization. They can say, this is what inclusivity is going to mean inside this organization and equity and bias, both conscious and unconscious. 
You could start with some very flat definitions that are generally accepted out of somebody's dictionary. And then how are we going to personalize it for our organization? If I can go to an organization, this is one of the things we do when we're doing our work, is to ask senior leaders, how do you define diversity, inclusion, and bias? Then I go in a level below, then a level below. Then, I, then we go to the onboarding space. How are you driving this to your organization? Does everybody know what this organization stands for when it comes to this? If not, then why? As critical mm-hmm. to your point, hot button is probably underselling it dramatically. If, if it is so critical in all of our lives, why is your organization's take on it absent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what does that say? And then where does that say we need to go? Do you, do you feel that there are some organizations that quite honestly don't belong in the conversation? Nope. Because cool. every organization is, is populated with humans mm-hmm. and these humans bring diversity to the table. Yep. Right. I, and one of the things that has happened is that we have begun to ignore the, the idea that diversity includes our white guy friends, our white guy colleagues. It does not exclude them. They're mm-hmm. part of the they're part of the conversation. They're part of the, 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 the what needs to happen. And so, yes, every organization, I, I don't care if it's a partnership of two people. Right. They're, 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 are they DNA twins, genetic twins, live exactly the same life? No, it, we have to respect that what people bring to the table and to exclude that, to exclude a rich part of your history and how it has influenced your leadership to some extent devalues that component of you. Mm hmm. And I, and yeah. I hired you and I wanted to partner with you because you, because of what you can help us build and what you, the impact you can help us have. So I should honor all of that, shouldn't I? Absolutely. And then what I've seen from my own personal, uh, or I should say professional experience uh, with Vigor. So uh, I think it was maybe like a year and a half ago, two years ago, whatever. I just looked around and I'm like, oh, wow, we actually have a really diverse group here. And that's, you know, that it wasn't by um, cognitive design. Like I didn't have a, uh, a checklist like, Oh, well I'm short a black person. I need to find one. It wasn't like that. It just so happened. I think we uh, very blessed to be in Atlanta where finding diverse people is relatively easy. Um, or should be easy, I should say. And what I realized from having that group of people is the ideas that are generated by the group are, um, wealthier, then I always make the joke about the ad industry if we were a bunch of uh, white bearded dudes, because um, it just seems like the industry is rampant with it. But um, I love the ideas, the different perspectives, the, the collaboration, the coming together and um, challenging each other, but also exalting and uplifting each other has been a great thing. And I think that's something that any company that embraces diversity as not necessarily the affirmative action, I have to hit a certain percentage of these people to, to be compliant, but more of a, uh, a welcoming in and um, an encouragement of expressing themselves. There are really great outputs. Are Beyond what I have just said, have you seen some pluses in organizations that you've worked with that you would find remarkable? Yes. I, I think that the first piece is in the intellectual uh, fluidity and elasticity, the leadership elasticity that occurs when people have to stretch themselves and say, how can we make our team better? That, that's work, right? And so if, for example, I've asked leaders this question, um, do you think that women bring something to the table strictly because they are women that allows them to see challenges and solutions differently, better than an otherwise fashion? 
mm-hmm. at, at a 99% clip, the answer is yes. Simply because they w- navigate the world as a woman, they see things differently than their male counterparts. Okay, if I can use that dichotomy for the moment, mm-hmm. and their understanding, of course, that gender is fluid. Um, then I'll follow up and say, can you say the same thing of a Hispanic man? That simply because he navigates the world differently as a Hispanic man, he sees challenges, challenges and solutions differently, better, different perspective, different lens. And then we get the pause. Why is there a pause? Mm-hmm. And what the, I'm not saying right, wrong. Let's stay in the why is there a pause. Investigate that. Unpack that. Because in that is where the solutions lie. We have been convinced by any number of metrics that simply because women are women and they navigate the world as women, they bring to this to the to the table different solutions that might be better. Okay, well, he's Hispanic. He's navigated the world as a Hispanic man, which is different than the people we have around the table. Yes. Yeah. No. And, and, and so I, 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 I'm not even interested in going further. Mm-hmm. And that for most people, that is the crux of the issue. And that's where we need to spend the time uh, having the difficult conversations. And our inability to have that conversation is what keeps us stuck in the mud. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's a really interesting um, exercise with people because I, I can imagine that happening. Um, but everyone, I mean, so even outside of race, we also have um, socioeconomic diversity as well. The, the way a person who, who was born and raised, let's say, in you know, the, the worst crime-ridden, poorest part of a city or a town versus someone who has been born where money uh, isn't really something they consider because they just have it. Um, those two individuals are really very, very, very different humans. Um, and I think, you know, it would, it, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but you see that the individuals who are born into uh, wealth or at least um, not having to worry about money, they do a lot of times end up in positions of power, of leadership, and can be completely blind spot, you know, to other people's points of view because they just haven't experienced it. Um, how do you, James, go... Uh, maybe uh, maybe this is the wrong terminology, but on the offense with those individuals to help break down the uh, myopic or at least narrow focus of their world and the way they perceive things. Sure. I, I think it's important to um, recognize that we, we, it's difficult to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's easier to try to change the shoes that you've worn. And what do I mean by that? We, we talk about the Dibs Big Eight at, at, at JP Enterprises. And what I mean by that are these big boulders of diversity that exist in our lives. Understanding that diversity is everything about me. There are some parts that have more power and they, they shift more of my life if they were to change. And those are race, gender, age, sexuality, disability, ability, politics, religion, and socioeconomics. So, so let's take socioeconomics and unpack it. Instead of me saying, what do you think it's like for that person that lives over there? What I would tell a person is, you grew up however you grew up with whatever your annual income was for the people that raised you. Imagine now if I were to take three zeros and add that to their family income, to your family income as a young person. What would change about your life? Where would you vacation? What kind of school would you go to? What kind of tutors would you have? 
What kind of uh, private school, if necessary or wanted, would you go to? What kind of uh, college would you have gone to? Where would you, what languages might you speak that are different, right? How, how would you get from place to place? Who would your friends be? What zip code would you live in? Now, let's take whatever your actual family income is or was, and let's subtract three zeros when you were 12 years old. For some of us, that puts us right square into third world poverty. Mm-hmm. How would your options shift? What zip code would you live in? What schools would you have gone to? What friends might you have had or not had? What would your teachers have done or been like? What kind of resources would you have had? How would you have gotten to school? Where would you have vacationed? You see, I think it is important to put the lens on the individual. We spend a lot of time trying to critique the person across the screen or across the table when the person we need to spend the most time with is in the mirror. And whether it's race or it's gender, we can flip that and left, right, or center. I happen to be a black guy. What if I woke up tomorrow and I happen to be a black woman? What would change about how the world sees me and how I see the world? I happen to be, quote unquote, able-bodied. What if I woke up tomorrow and one of my legs didn't work and I was in a wheelchair? Mm. What would change about how I navigate the world? Right. So all of these things have to be looked at me first, leader first, as opposed to some type of um, uh, anthropological observational uh, uh, piece. It has to be me, 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 me. There are times when it's important to be selfish. And if you're trying to grow your organization and shift your leadership, though, this is one of those times. I love that. Uh, A lot of great one-liners in there that um, I'm, I'm definitely going to pull out because I hope people really let those wash over them and sink in. Um, you know, as a leader of my own company, there's a little bit of what I'm about to mention, but I, I can imagine that gets exponentially even more um, intense, the larger the organization. And that is this current, we'll call it a buzzword uh, of cancel culture. And I think that is like this, you know, evil cloaked, demon in the room that everyone's really frightened of. Cause we, we see the news headlines. We see people getting canned from their positions, even people who were traditionally, we'll say liberal minded, uh, like, um, Barry Weiss, for instance, you know, was completely ejected, um, from, I believe the New York times is where she was and she was very liberal. And so I think there's this fear of like, don't even get near it. Don't even touch it. Just ignore it. Stay away from it because the minute you do, you're just going to, you could be canceled like that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how do you, how can a leader start to, um, I don't know how I want to phrase the question, but like get the group in lockstep, meaning this understanding that guys, I may mess up. It's coming. It's not coming from a place of ignorance. It's not coming from a place of malice. It's because I'm human. And I need you on the same page with me here because if I mess up, then we need to work together. You need to give me an opportunity to apologize. You need to be open to that apology. And I think that last bit is a thing that I see that's missing in our society right now, which is, Okay, if if Joseph says something completely inappropriate on this podcast and you know the pitchforks and torches come out, you never give Joseph an opportunity to rectify the situation, to take a step back and say, I did mess up. I understand that. Here's how I'm gonna fix it. Give me an opportunity to. Instead, it's nope, you're done, you're out. 
And I think that's a horrible way to be. Um, but how do you, am, am I approaching this, what you would consider to be the right way in my brain? I mean, how do you foster that thinking and yeah, let me, let me add fear? a few things and start at the end. One has to identify what is the value of the apology, right? If we mm -hmm. start at the end and work our way backwards, that if I did something to you, me apologizing to you, right? And forgiving myself is, is for me. It liberates mm -hmm. me. I don't know if you're going to accept the apology or not. I can't do something for you to get something back. I'm apologizing to you because you deserve it. And I have to liberate myself from that, from that obligate, uh, from that weight. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you talk about cancel culture, I mean, it, it, it's a phrase that is it jumped into the lexicon that is that people have started to stir around. But let me be really plain with it. Leaders have to do the right thing in the face of adversity. You have to do the right thing. You have to do what you believe to be right. And, and part of doing the right thing is seeking advice and consult. Right. And so some, while you're busy trying to figure out what can't I say, you could have been busy trying to figure out how to say what I need to say, what is the right thing to say, right? And the secondary part is aligning your leadership ethics with the organization's ethics, pro actions, programs, and policies. So if I can work on myself and recognize what is the right thing for me to do in the midst of adversity, right? Seek the proper advice and consultation on how to do it well and right align what I believe to be well and right with my organization's beliefs on what's well and right, and then drive that through our policies, practices, and procedures in, in, so that I can include people, that inclusivity that we often hear uh, discussed, and then let my team, my clients, and guests know that every now and again, I'm going to make a mistake, and I'm asking you in advance for forgiveness. I'm asking you in advance to tap me on the shoulder if you see me going the wrong direction and not seeing something. Meanwhile, I'm going to also let you know I'm, con I'm continuing to seek advice and consultation, and I'm getting it from the highest possible level. I'm not going across the street to my, my friend Bob, who, who lived a little different life, right, who's my brown friend or my female friend or my gay friend or my black friend or my white friend. Instead, I'm going to somebody who does this and say, help me be the best leader I can be. It's amazing how forgiving people can be when they know that you are actually and really trying authentically. It's logical how unforgiving they can be when they know that you are not. Mm -hmm. And there's too many of us that are not. We are being still in the midst of a, of, of a hurricane of the diversity, broadly speaking, stuff that is happening. We, we have to get out there. You know, our, our teams are waiting for us to lead. And so, yes, so cancel culture is a thing. In the midst of it, lead. Yes, somebody may throw a rock or a tomato and hit me in the head. Yes, and in the midst of it, lead. Yeah, the board may call me up and say, what are you doing and how are you doing it? Yes, they might. And in the midst of it, you need to lead. What would we tell our children to do mm -hmm. in third grade if it was a similar situation? We would tell them to lead. We would tell them to roll their shoulders back and pick their chin up and say what they have been taught in, 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 in home, around the dinner table, uh, at, the, at the faith uh, place of worship, at, at the sports uh, location with their coach. That's what we would tell them to do. So we ought to do our version of that. I love that. Um, 
that starts to unpack, I think, one of the questions that I have, or at least uh, it's certainly a raised eyebrow uh, with our in, with with the industry that we work with, which is the uh, food and beverage in- industry. And so, during the previous administration, we we heard about the kids in cages at the border. Uh, currently, at the time of this recording, that number is exponentially larger. Yet the outrage doesn't seem to be there. Um, And so when we talk about immigration, I also look at an industry that has thrived off of illegal immigration in their kitchen, you know, their kitchens, which I think is great to give opportunities for those who need it. But essentially that's creating part of the problem. Um, And how do we switch the narrative and become beacons of a safe way to bring people into this country giving them the opportunity. And then how do we just tackle that challenge of immigration as an industry and a culture from the perspective of, let's say, restaurants? Yep. Again, I I think that I go back to the mirror, that I as a leader need to look in the mirror and say, what do I believe to be right? Mm -hmm. What is the right thing to do? And and here's here's the tough thing that I've had to ask myself and I've asked clients uh, if I back up to, you know, uh, a year and a half or so ago when, when we first kind of, when it was thrust upon us, you know, in the summer of uh, 2020-ish, um, that how, how, a lot of organizations were, were bemoaning a lot of the challenges that were happening there. And, and I remember a Hispanic woman asking me, said, James, you know, I understand what's happening with the social justice movement. I'm trying to be involved and do the right things. I'm trying to lead well. But here's the deal, James. I, I didn't see everybody up in arms when our babies were locked up in cages south of the border. And it made me pause and look in the mirror and say, what have I done? And I'm driving this to the people that are listening here now. You have to decide what you're going to do. And, and here's here, here's the here's the scratch, right? Because it's, it's, it's our job to scratch each other every once in a while. If those children look like your children, would you be behaving differently? Mm-hmm. If, if those children, because now there's all kinds of conversations around, not just that they're being treated bad, but what are the kinds of treat bad that are happening? It's one thing for a child to sleep on a floor. It's another thing for a female young girl to be treated inappropriately, to be assaulted, to be touched. For a female young boy to be treated inappropriately, to be sexually assaulted, to be touched. These are also the kinds of things that are now being alleged. If that child looked like you, would you feel differently? Would you behave differently? Regardless as to how they came there. Mm -hmm. So we know that in particular, the restaurant industry is a beacon of light to many folks. They, they believe that they can get there, they can get a job, they can start their lives in a different kind of way. So with the power that the restaurant uh, world, the world of restaurants and food has, how can you help? How can you help drive policy and practice at the uh, uh, county, state, and federal levels? Right? My guess is that there's already, already some work happening. Mm-hmm. My 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 sense of it is not is not something that is happening in our normal conversations. I don't see it on the covers of our of our websites. I don't see it on the covers of our of our, our internet magazines. Let's do something about. Here's what we are doing about. Join hands and let's figure this out. Regardless of your political affiliations, organizational affiliations, can we agree that it needs to get fixed? And it needs to get fixed yesterday. 
And <laughs> would we have fixed it if those children mm-hmm. looked like me, like us, like the person in the mirror? So I would I would ask people that in the in the same ways that you advocate for fairness in your organizations, you might want to consider how you are advocating for fairness for your future um, employers, employees who may have just yesterday crossed the border, maybe illegally. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But let's be plain. Many of us have just have some illegal folks work in our organizations. And we provide an opportunity for them to get in and get ready and, and, and become part of the fabric of America. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, these aren't easy things, right? But if we aren't willing to wade into the deeper and more treacherous water, then we cannot expect our leaders to, and we, we should not be expecting our children to either. Mm-hmm. Lead like you expect leaders to lead. Lead like you expect your children to lead when the time comes. Yeah, I, I love that. And what what's curious to me is leaders just by the very nature of leadership, you know, a parent, a parent is a leader, you know, mm. um, they have to make tough choices that in the immediate moment seem like not beneficial. Um, so I, I always use the, uh, the, the, the child who wants a cookie analogy. Um, and so, you know, if your kid taps your shoulder in the morning, say, I want a cookie, you know, and you don't give him a cookie and he cries, you know, that, that seems like a bad move. Cause now the kid's upset and so you give him a cookie. Then he comes back at lunch, wants a cookie. And then this keeps on happening. You keep on giving him that cookie. You're going to create a really bad health problem for that child, as well as bad eating habits, uh, the wrong view on, <laughs> on diet and what is acceptable or not. It's not that the cookie's bad. It's just a cookie five, six times a day is bad. Um, so as a leader, you have to make the tough decision to say, I'm not going to, I can't give you that cookie right now, you know, and here's why you can explain blah, blah, blah. They're still not going to be happy about it. And in that moment, that's a really tough choice because you're essentially making someone unhappy. And so how do you, uh, or at least from your perspective, how do you unpack the need to be, forward thinking, which is a a hallmark of a fantastic leader to make tough, possibly unpopular decisions today so that the health of the organization and the health of the humans in there are better tomorrow and the day after the day after, because that's two very different things. I had a conversation with a a state Senator in Pennsylvania who happened to be my landlord. Uh, Maybe not the conversation I should get into with my landlord, but um, (laughs) you know, we, we had a good political back and forth, a good conversation. He's like, well, you know, Joe, I just, I think, I think about what's right. My daddy told me always do what's right. And I was like, okay, but define right. Define that for me. You know, I don't, cause your idea of right, you know, may not be. So taking immigration, for instance, um, one could make the case that by providing opportunities without legal entry into the United States, you're causing more people to come here because they see a path to get in and start to make a better life and a better life they will make compared to where they have come from. And so the right thing to do feels like not doing anything like, yeah, come in here. I'm going to give you money. I don't care that you're illegal, but it causes a self-fulfilling prophecy where more of that happens. And there is danger with illegal immigration. You use the little girl as an example. I mean, the, the coyotes, as they're called, I mean, they're, they're not good humans. You know, they, they are not patron saints ushering people into a world of beauty. They're exploiting both sides of the scenario. And that to me seems very bad. Um, and, and so while it may be right to offer 
the, let's just say starving individual who just wants to clean dishes for enough money to, to make a living and send it back home. That feels right. But in the bigger, grander scheme, is it? And, and as a leader, like, how do you even begin to gosh, parse that out? Cause what a complicated mess, right? Sure. And, and here's, here's what I, I think, Joseph, the, the, it, the, in the in the necessary conversation is the growth that needs to happen. There are not enough people having the right conversations, having the conversation at all, and 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 listening to understand versus listening to respond. We're not trained to 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 have conver- conversations around things uh, underneath the broad umbrella umbrella of diversity, with depth and curiosity and patience and purpose. Because when the passion gets pushed in, some people feel persecuted, right? And then to your point about offense versus defense, they turtle up and get defensive. Instead of saying, you know what, what you're saying is irritating me. Give me a second because I can't hear you anymore. Mm. I I just, I can't hear you. I'm full. I need 30 minutes. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna take a walk or I'm need 30 days. I'll come back and we'll get back to it. But I cannot hear you right now. I gotta, I gotta get myself together on that. And and instead we go back and forth and back and forth and we get nowhere again. So we, we want to have solution oriented discussions, then let's make that the goal. We will come up with a solution. And we will come up with an imperfect solution that is better than the one that we have, the imperfect solution we have now. And we are going to, to, to work on doing that. But again, the first things we have to do is begin to describe what the challenge is. What is illegal immigration mean to you versus me? What does immigration mean to you versus me? Am I going to be honest and say that when I think am I ready to be honest and say when I think illegal immigration, I'm speaking for James, when mm-hmm. I think uh, illegal immigration. I think brown people coming from a brown country in Central America or Mexico. Am I am I going to say that? Am I, am I also willing to say I'm not thinking about illegal immigrants that come in through Canada or otherwise? I'm not thinking about illegal immigrants that overstay their visas. I have to be open and say that I get, that's my starting point. Now mm-hmm. let's go somewhere from there. Maybe I need some education around what the policies are, what the practices are, because I've only learned policy, quote unquote, from the news station that I that I listen to. So I need someone to to tutor me up so I can get we can get the same language, speak, speak the same words, have them defined, and then we can move forward. There, there is a hesitance to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to make that the norm, that curiosity and that leadership uh, flexibility that I mentioned previously becomes the norm. Then we can get to some solutions. That's how far we are away from real solutions. Yeah. That we can't even have a conversation because we don't have the words defined for one another. Once James defines it for James and you define it for you, then you define it for your organization and I do the same. Then we, you and I go to a separate table and say, this is what we've been doing. What have you been doing? How's it been working for you? And let's beat up your idea. Not you. But let's beat up your idea and then let's do the same for mine and mm-hmm. let's come up with a better solution that that the distance between our ability to talk about uh, uh, to define issues of diversity with the same language and then talk about them is huge right now. And then once we start to talk about them, to do so in a purpose driven way that does not allow the passion to turn to persecution, 
that there's a huge, huge distance. However, if we can make it to that next spot, that's where the exponential growth occurs. Because let's assume that the people around the table are serious leaders and they know how structures work. They know how finance work works and they know how successful organizations are built. They already know that part. We have to go backwards to the elementary understandings of language, words, and learning to talk to one another about difficult subjects. We're not good at that. Yeah. In particular, as it relates to diversity. And I I love what you had mentioned. It's it's about composure and uh, self-awareness. And so you're right. Like if, if you say something, if James says something to me that triggers me, I have choices. You know, I can fire right back. You know, and before you know, we got ourselves a big bonfire that's out of control and not a fire department in sight. That's right. Um, Or I can take a minute and say, I know James. I know that what he said wasn't coming from a place of malice. Um, He he doesn't hate me. Um, I may think that what he said was, you know, antithetical to what I think progress and growth might be, or it might be absolutely offensive. Um, but I know that it wasn't the intent. And so if I'm that mad, I should take a deep breath and say, James, I think I need, like you said, 30 minutes, 30 days, whatever. I do want to come back. I want to continue the conversation, but I want to do it where I have a clear head and heart because in that moment is when you say some things that are just, I don't know anybody who's proud of the things that they said when they're mad, Hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, love them or hate them. We just had a president who had, no, no composure. You know, he, he was unable to not fire back. You know, he, it was from the heart, from the gut, say what, it, what the first thing is in mind without consideration of anything, you know, and uh, some people liked it. Some, a lot of people didn't, um, and it showed up in the polls, but I think, um, you know, having that composure is critical and then having the apologetic uh, acceptance is critical you know, being ready to receive, not just the words, I'm mm. sorry. Because you're right. The words, I'm sorry, are absolve the person who's saying it. But it should be, I'm sorry. Here's what I would like to do to write the ship. What do you think I should do to write the ship? Yeah. You know, and, and engage them in the, in, in the, yeah, solution. the solution. Absolutely. You know, we, we, um, it's, there are a few times, not, not enough, I believe, when we make whole person, wholehearted, to use a Brene Brown term, commitments to one another that involve everything from my actions to my emotions to my humility to my passion. That's what diversity work is and can be. But there aren't a lot of times when we do that. So we don't have a lot of practice doing that. Maybe mm-hmm. If you happen to be married, if you chose to have children and you plan those kids out, maybe that's it. Uh, maybe your place of worship, depending on how that how that works in your in your life. Most of the time, we make commitments that are part of ourselves, not whole self commitments. You want to you want to be a leader in the diversity space. It's a whole self commitment. Now, let me be plain. It is not my intention to change people's viewpoint. It's my intention as a professional get you to be able to talk about your viewpoint so that I can hear what you are saying, so that your team can hear what you are saying, right? And understand better how it is that you lead. Because if I look across the screen and I I look at you, for example, I might see what I think is a white guy who makes decisions based upon his whiteness. But that's not how you enter the world and how you live your, your, your space. You're a different animal. And so until I listen to you, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have to give you the grace to unfold 
But if I'm the leader, I have to also uh, set up a, a, a circumstance where you can, and then I can demand it. I need all of you at this table when we make these decisions. And if you can't bring all of yourself, I'm going to need you to let me know what I can do to help make that the case. Because the KPIs, right, for you in this position is that you bring your whole self. And if part of your whole self is, I don't know, you were raised in Canada, well, then I need some Canadian influence on this decision making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And if, if you're not going to bring that, then why are you here? Meanwhile, I'm going to work on bringing my whole self as a, as an Asian, a Asian American woman whose parents were born in China. I'm going to bring all of that to the table and we're going to beat up the idea with those uh, lenses and then try to come up with what is best. And, and again, these are very difficult things that require long term whole person commitments. And that's why I believe in so many ways it is difficult for leaders to do. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I think that the difficult thing to do for leaders has always been done. Leaders always do what is difficult. Let me challenge the leaders that are listening now to do what is impossible. You need to think about doing the impossible thing. That's what leaders in today's environment need to do. Do the impossible thing. You need to be the person that I see pushing against the ocean all by yourself. That's how you get people to join you. You want to lead? Then lead. That's what leadership is. It's lonely. It can be terrible. It can be onerous. And you know what? Somebody might decide that you need to get canceled. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. Right. Then do it based upon your principles and your ethics so that when when it's all said and done and somebody's reading that eulogy, they can say that she did what she believed. She did what she believed to be right. She pushed herself to learn and grow and connect her passion and her purpose in meaningful ways. And when people came and threw tomatoes at her head, she stood with her chin held high. She did what she believed to be right and surrounded herself with smart people to help her uh, push towards, in this case, issues of diversity, inclusion and bias. She pushed against the ocean and the ocean pushed back. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can live with that as a leader. I do not want to be the person. I do not want to be the leader who, when the sun sets on my time, looks back and says, I wish I would have done more. This is this is 2021, which is different than other times. You have a different sure. opportunity to do more. More is different for all of us. I mean, I, I approach my work now with a different kind of mindset than I used to. I give different advice than I used to. I better be better at my job mm-hmm. and figuring out how to how to get people who um, are black and white and of varying ages and sexualities to come to a table. I better be good at my job. Otherwise, otherwise they fail. And I'm mm-hmm. not willing to to do that. I'm not, I'm not willing to give up like that. So. I'm asking people to, in whatever way that you can, to join uh, those of us that are trying to push against the ocean, not trying to change your mind, but get you to articulate your viewpoint so that I can hear what you have to say so that we can all be better. I love it. So, uh, you know, what, two, two people's names um, come to mind when you say leaders who pushed against the ocean. And in my own, um, in my own experience, I, I found the... Uh, the bifurcation of our cultures no more than in these two instances. So when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, I, I had been talking to a friend of mine who was, who was very um, 
I'd say borderline far right. Um, <laughs> um, I think he's very extreme in his views. Let's put it that way. And he's like, why, why are you upset or like feeling a sense of mourning for her passing? She was extremely liberal on the, I was like, but she did what she thought was right. She always did what she thought was right. She was a brilliant mind and she was a fantastic uh, human for what she believed what, what needed to be in this world. And you can have nothing but respect for that, you know? Um, and then on the other side of it, I got it from the other side of my friends um, when Rush Limbaugh died. It's like pretty sad. Rush Limbaugh died. Like, how can you? That guy is a hate monger. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, you can list down the ways that you perceived him, but he changed talk radio. He changed it. He brought something completely new to this world, merging entertainment and political discussion and discourse. And if you don't think for a second that that cleared the way for liberal talk radio hosts, you're wrong. You know, you don't have to agree with him. He did what he thought was right and he did it well. You know, you know and I, I think that there's an argument that we do apples and apples, Justice Scalia yeah. and, and Justice Ginsburg, right? One could say that yeah. they were not a lot. Uh, they didn't believe some of the same kinds of things, but they were good friends and they had dinner and they talked and they unpacked and they had a deep friendship over a, decades. Right. That's how I want to be in my profession and in my personal life. I'm not always going to agree with the person across the table, but uh, that's how we get sharper by understanding the other person's argument. And if necessary, to be able to articulate it in their absence with the same yeah. kind of passion that they would bring to the table. We, we've been, we've been um, socialized and, and raised and educated recently to believe uh, that the, there is one way to be, and that is to stand in your corner and yell from it at them. As opposed to saying, hey, how about we grab a sandwich and some iced tea? And let's talk about what your situation is. Help me understand it. You know what? I, I'm not, you're not being clear enough to me. I need you to, I need you to make those points more clearly because, you know, your point is not well made. Let, let's talk about this in another couple of weeks because while I understand where you're going, I think that your point is, it's not that your point is invalid, it's that your argument is. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to learn how to do that as, uh, as leaders. And encourage those of us, those that are following us to do the same. You ought not be authorized to come to the table with a, a poorly articulated argument. We don't allow that in finance. We don't allow that in, 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 in marketing, other spaces. So bring to the table in the diversity space the same level of rigor and KPIs that you would anywhere else. And when you do that, you will begin to see the results. People are, it's demanded of people that you have an opinion, a reasoned opinion about something based upon your area of expertise and your professionalism. Why not diversity too? It should be that way. It's been, it's been uh, an area of our professions that we've allowed people to be light, right? And we've shifted the responsibility to people that uh, may or may not have the professional hackles to make it happen but we wouldn't do that in technology. We'd mm -hmm. make sure that person knew what they were doing relative to the organization depth and breadth that we require. Same thing in marketing, same thing in HR, same thing in finance. So we ought to be doing the same kinds of things moving forward in diversity. Now I say what I say with, with absent it being a, uh, a personal critique of leaders looking backwards. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just a recognition of what actually happened. 
We, we would hire chief diversity officers or director of diversity without them having the, nest, the requisite experience of their peers. You wouldn't hire a chief technology officer that shifted over from marketing after two mm-hmm. or three years, four years, and say, just lead this for us. No, you go get somebody who's been doing this for a while and has shown some significant success. So I think we need to, uh, that's one of the many things that I advise clients to do moving forward. To, to take a look at this area in your organization and treat it with uh, a certain level of rigor. Yeah, I love that. So believe it or not, we're about 47 minutes into this. I think we could talk the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> it's a big topic after all, and there's a lot to say. Um, and magically, I think we've gone this entire episode without saying the magic word, which is posted behind you. And that's akmatbi no frall. <laughs> or wait, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that is a fantastic word. Can tell me about uncomfortable uh, and, and, and what that means? Sure. You know, I, we use the tagline at JP being the right kind of uncomfortable, helping people to be that. It, it, is, leaders know that you're going to be uncomfortable. What is the right kind of uncomfortable as it relates to diversity for you as an individual, for your team, for your organization? Whatever that is, get there and stay there. That's where the growth happens, right? Everyone already knows that. So let's apply that same standard to the diversity space. So as a, as a coach, I do that. As a consultant, we do that. As, as a keynote speaker and workshop presenter, I do that. It's, it's, I, I've, somebody asked me one time, James, so you're a motivational speaker. No, it's very rare that after I get through talking, people jump up and down and yes, I feel so great. Or <laughs> thinking, oh man, okay. Uh, got some stuff to work on. Uh, okay. And, and that's what I want. I, I want people to, to, um, to feel stirred up. I want you to feel agitated, maybe scratched and irritated, but not angry right? And, and, and I want you to feel passionate, but I don't want you to feel persecuted. I want you to feel like, like you're valued, but not a victim, right? I, I, I want you to be able to stand up and say, I will lead in, in the face of adversity and to do so without the thinking of scarcity and fear. There's not enough of this and I'm scared that that's going to happen. You know, it, I, I was talking to a leader who, asked, after the, uh, the, 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 the Asian um, murders happened in Atlanta, that's a kind of an t- awkward phrase to use, but, um, yeah. and their business is in Atlanta, and, I, and, and they had uh, gotten their hands slapped by their organizational team members that they reacted too slow when the social justice things happened in 2020. So I said, what are you going to do? Oh, well, that's kind of outside of our area. I don't think there's something we should do there. I, I think we're okay. And I said... They're in the food industry, by the way. And, and I said, what are you going to do if one of the big monsters in the food industry does say something? Are you going to follow behind them? Or are you going to still stay silent? And then about a week or so later, some of the some of the larger organizations started to say something. And then mm-hmm. the voting rights piece happened in Georgia and some of the bigger organizations started to say something. And I go back to what are you going to do now? Because you had the opportunity to get out front just with your small team of 100, 150 people. And you don't have to, again, you don't have to align yourself to a quote-unquote political belief, a religious belief, or et cetera, to say that you care about people and that you value people and they're important. And that the way that you leave the planet matters. And that some people were taken in ways that were inappropriate and unnecessary and mean and disrespectful. And we don't support that. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely say these kinds of things. But it takes leaders who are willing to fully embrace the discomfort of being a leader, 
as it relates to diversity. So my job as a consultant, as a speaker, as a workshop presenter, as a firm owner, as a man is to lead, is to scratch people and to ask them to, to, to do the next thing. It is also my job to get scratched, to be uncomfortable, to surround myself with people who keep me uncomfortable so that I can keep learning. And so I believe that is the challenge uh, ahead of all of us. And I, I push all of us to continue to do that. And, and to the extent that, that, that folk have uh, wants and needs uh, that, that are in that diversity space, I, go get some help. And whether that help be an organization like ours or it be something else, then, then do that. But don't, um, sometimes we can rely upon our own devices just long enough to get our heads chopped off. <laughs> and wouldn't it be a terrible thing for us to get uh, accosted by cancel culture because we chose not to get help? Yep. I think that's fantastic. Where, uh, I mean, this is just great to roll into. Where can people connect with you, James? Um, how can they find you? Well, our website is uh, jamespogue.com, P-O-G-U-E.com. Obviously, like, I shouldn't say obviously, we're on, I'm on LinkedIn and, um, and you know, in the Facebook world and the Instagram world as well. And you can see there some of the writings that we've done recently and some of the work that we've done with some uh, people, particularly in the food industry here uh, recently. And we're really, really proud of our, our, uh, our deep relationships with folks in the food industry. So to the extent that we can be helpful, um, would love to do that. And so whether you want to reach out to us at the website or on LinkedIn or otherwise, that's great. Let me also be humble enough to say that if, if we may not be the best fit for you, but go get some help, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to walk this path by yourself. That what I mentioned about fear and scarcity, if you, if you, you, one ought not walk the world in fear and, and, and you can be tentative and you can be, I'm not certain, but that's what people like me are here for to help bolster you up, to be your training wheels until you can walk alone and, and be a little stronger. In a lot of ways, I'm a personal trainer. I'm a diversity personal trainer, me and my team. And so we can come in and take a snapshot of your organization and give you some strategic recommendations. We can absolutely do that. We can build content and programs and help you shift your policies and practices to be more aligned to what you believe is your personal ethic and your organizational ethic around diversity, inclusion, and bias. And if necessary, we can come and I can come and give a, give a great talk or do a panel discussion, something like that about it. But make the moves and move forward. This is not a time for uh, people to stand still. It's a time for leaders and it's a time for leaders to stand up. I love it. Okay, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, definitely reach out to James. Definitely connect with him. Um, this won't be the last conversation because this isn't. This is a journey. I think you said that early on. It's a journey. It's a. It's togetherness, and um, so long as we continue together and we have good discussions that are sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes wonderful, uh, but always you know, uh, pushing us as a group and as a culture ahead, uh, we're going to be in a good space. It's when people shut up. That's when that's when it's really bad. Um, and so I would love to have more conversations like this. Uh, in the meantime, again, follow James and James, thank you so much for your time and all of your insights and your heart and your passion. I think this has been a brilliant conversation. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad to do it. If 
If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.